0: There have been a lot of great hockey players over the years, legends, both on and off the ice. The Overtime Podcast chats in with some of hockey's biggest names and talks about what these great players are up to today. Welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Here's your host, Gino Retta.
1: Hey, hockey fans, welcome to the Seven Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Reddy. You know I've spent over four decades working in the game, fortunate enough to meet some of the great legends of the game, saw them come into the league, watched them shine in the game, and now they've moved on to life after the game. The Seven Eleven Overtime Podcast gives us a chance to catch up, tell some great stories, relive some great memories, and hear what they're up to today. Today, a good one, folks one of the greatest St. Louis Blues of all time. The Blues' all-time leading scorer. A first-round pick by the Blues back in 1976. First player in NHL history to get 50 assists in 10 consecutive seasons. That sells a lot. He played exactly 1,000 NHL games, finished with 1,130 points. When he retired in 1990, he was a top-20 scorer of all time. Hockey Hall of Famer in 2002, inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame last year, Bernie Federico. Bernie, welcome to the show, my friend. Great to see you. Thank you, Gino. nice Nice to be with you.
0: You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Cravables, like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say, hey, dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7Now. Download the 7-Eleven app. We want point out that you're a fellow
1: television, what are you now, quarter of a century doing uh, hockey?
2: Yes, you know, I started with doing radio with Blues back in 1970, 1996. I did it for four years and I've been doing the TV ever since.
1: Wow. That's amazing. And you are like, like listen, you you had a cup of coffee with the Detroit Red Wings at the end of your career, but you're a St. Louis Blue through and through. The stuff that you've seen the organization go through, and that's where I want to spend a lot of our time talking today, the parts of it where you were there, the parts of it that you've seen them now win their first Stanley Cup back in 2019. Um, It was pretty amazing. Tell us a story how you came first and foremost, to playing exactly 1,000 NHL games, which is an amazing milestone.
2: You know, that was just uh, circumstance. I mean, there, it, it was, there was not planned. It was just the way the schedule worked out. I mean, I was traded to Detroit. Uh, I had 73 games to get to 1,000. And through the course of being injured and, and not playing a couple of games with, with the, uh, the uh, things that go on, <laughs> going to a new team, uh, it just happened to me that the last game of the year was in Philadelphia. It was my 1,000th game, and that it was all that was said to it. I mean, I I really didn't try to plan it that way. It just kind of worked out. No. When you play
1: 1,000 and you you average more than a point per game, it puts you in some pretty exclusive company. It puts you in, I'd say, the top 50 or 60 all-time. I think you're 61 all-time NHL scoring right now, which is amazing. But here's, here's what I think part of our audience is going to go, Bernie Federico had that many points? Like you had maybe one of the quietest strings of a 1,000 points in NHL history, I guess because of the organization you were playing with and because of the window you were playing in, because you were playing in the era of 150-point seasons of guys like Gretzky and Lemieux, Bossy, Curry, Iserman. I mean, it was what was it like to be a part of that incredible crew and that incredible era in NHL history? Yeah, I think
2: that had a lot to do with it, Gina. I mean, um, playing in St. Louis here, uh, obviously we're kind of away from where the media uh, was. I mean, you get to the East coast and of course, then you've got the bigger cities and all of Canada, but uh, here in St. Louis, pretty quiet place to be playing hockey. But, uh, yes, I mean, there was a lot of great players, especially Santa iceman during my era. Uh, you mentioned Gretzky, of course, I mean, Troche was there and Howard and Dennis Sabard and, uh, it goes on and on. So, uh, You know, and I I put up great numbers, and and, uh, it was just one of those things. I mean, you can't – you're not responsible for where you play. If you don't get depressed, you don't uh, uh, get heard of. I mean, it's just kind of the way it is. You go about your business. I never really worried about it too much because I had a job to do for the Blues here. Uh, I was counted on very heavily each and every game. Uh, Emil Francis uh, was the first man to kind of give me that opportunity to uh, excel At the game i loved and i just kind of continued to play whatever was going to happen was happening was out of my control and i just uh, tried to do the best each and every day tried to win us uh obviously a stanley cup like everybody does when they come into the league but uh you know we had some tough times i mean we went through uh the solomons i started with the first owners then of course of course we went to ross and purina and then it was harry Ernest, and then it was mike shannon so it was a lot of ownership changes so um, uh, we were pretty frugal as an organization. Whenever anybody kind of, we got to, uh, we needed to up some of the contracts, uh, we let guys go, guys like Mike Leut and Joey Mullen, and I mean, it goes on and on. I mean, we uh, just wouldn't hang on to players too long, and unfortunately, because of that, we weren't able to ever get to the promised land, but uh, uh, that was just kind of the way it was back then. I mean, things have changed so much now with salary cap and all the money that's that's out there, but in our day, it certainly wasn't there, so it was kind of a different game.
1: You touched on a lot of different issues there, and I think a big chunk of our audience is going to go, "Wait," as you were saying there, "Like what? What they were sold? They were like, what? What happened? Where did they go? What happened?" Like so, I want to touch back on a number of the things that you brought up there. Uh, first and foremost, let me point out the fact that while the St. Louis Blues were going through all this, you were killing it. You were crushing it. You had, I think, four hundred point seasons, including three straight one hundred point seasons, which. In, in the media, yourself and myself, even today, we look at that as like, holy crap, you got 100 points in a season. That's pretty amazing. So, what you were doing on the ice was pretty amazing. And you were way before the salary cap era. And I think more importantly, and you tell me what you think of this, more importantly, you were before the salary cap basement era, where people have to now spend a certain amount of dollars. And we see a number of NHL franchises. Acquiring contracts today to get to that basement, but you were playing at a time. I don't know how you would describe it, maybe stingy, a little tighter financially ownership where guys didn't want to spend the money. And you had to sit there and watch talent develop in the Blues organization only to have somebody else somewhere else say, well, if the Blues won't pay you, I'll pay you. And you had to keep watching these guys leave. What was that like for you?
2: Well, it was very frustrating. I mean, uh, those were the days where there was no free agency, and we, we had no control over what we were doing. I mean, if if you, if someone wanted to trade you, you 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 had no choice. I mean, uh, I guess I was fortunate until the last year of, of that I played. Uh, I was able to be here. I loved it here, and I think everybody that ever has played here has really loved it here. But we really had no control, and uh, especially when we went through from when we, with with Mister Francis, and of course with. Uh, Ross and Purina, everything was great. I mean, we were we were bringing players in and we were a really good hockey club. And then when Harry Ornes came in, it, it things changed an awful lot. So whenever, the, as I mentioned, we had a couple of guys that um, needed to get new contracts and it just wasn't going to happen and there was no control over it. So we just, as players, you just had to do what you could do. And um, certainly we were very frustrated in the fact that we were a good team and we had a chance and all of a sudden we let two or three players go and then Hey, these were friends of ours too, but you just kind of move on. New people come in; you have to adjust, and 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 we we did that. And and uh, it, it was it's sad to say, but uh, we lost we lost an awful lot of great players. And we've always said we look back and say if we could have kept just half those players, uh, we would have had a really good chance of, of maybe winning a cup. But it, it just didn't happen that way. So you, you just, as a player, uh, we had no recourse. We just kind of went with the flow.
1: Let me take you back to the 1982-83 season. I mean, we've seen hockey fans today see what the Coyotes are going. They can't get a building. They're working in a you know university building that seats maybe 4,000 fans. And we're like, oh, my gosh, how does the NHL let this happen? What you guys went through in the 82-83 year, I mean, first and foremost, you got sold three times during your career, and you were with the Blues for 13 years. So that's Amazing. Like most NHLers will go through their entire career and never see their team get sold. Once you saw your club get it sold three times and it almost ended up your friend, you're from Saskatchewan. You're from the province of Saskatchewan. You almost ended up playing for, I don't know, the Saskatoon blues. Tell our audience the story of, of what you guys heard in that year and how as a player you were listening to all the rumors the reports the speculation and how it all how it all transpired how you almost ended up with an organization an hl franchise in saskatoon
2: i had to really walk a really fine line back in those days because being uh, from saskatchewan i played for the blades for saskatoon for three years there my junior there so uh, when all the rumors came out and of course now it wasn't just rumors i mean uh, I, I talked to Bill Hunter. I mean, there was all kinds of things that were going on. He called. I mean,
1: the press Bill Hunter was then long time, big time, yeah. big money guy in the Edmonton organization.
2: Yes, and he was trying to put together the the uh, uh, the entire uh, uh, sale for for the Blues. He, he it was he was behind the backing of bringing the Blues to Saskatchewan. So um, everything was going on, and, and of course, we were in a situation here where. Um, the people didn't want us to leave here in St. Louis, all our fans so were on our side. And, and of course, we had to be on their side because we play here. And yet I had the, the roots of being at home and all my family and friends uh, calling from there say, hey, you'd be great if you come to Saskatchewan. So I was kind of there. I mean, I, I at the time uh, was kind of saying, boy, um, with that, with will being 150,000, I mean, St. Louis, two and a half million people. Uh, is Saskatoon going to be able to support uh, an NHL franchise at the time? And I think that's kind of where I was at. And uh, so I, I, we just kind of played it day by day. And and yes, there was where there was times that we were on the way for sure. I mean, they announced that we were going and then uh, the the, the NHL said, no, you're not. And so we were kind of back and forth, back and forth. And uh, as it turned out, uh, we never did make the move. And we're glad that we didn't because of, uh, St. Louis is a great hockey town. I, I still wish Saskatchewan could get a NHL franchise. It would be wonderful, but uh, I'm glad it's not the St. Louis Blues because we we still love it, love it here, and and, and now that we have a Stanley Cup here and St. Louis too, it, it's even more
1: special. Bernie, as a, as a broadcast, let me just say, great job walking that tightrope there. Good job, <laughs> man. <laughs> you don't want to take off people back home, but you've has been in your home now for decades, so you got to... I totally get that, but I will ask you for some honesty like okay so the team was old by Rolson Purina it almost ended up in Saskatoon it ends up in the hands of Harry Ornest uh for those in the hockey community you remember Harry Ornest the guy who I think I think it's fair to say Bernie he wasn't a huge fan of hockey he was a huge fan of dollars and mm-hmm. not a huge fan of spending those dollars I would say maybe he was a little bit thrifty in the way he spent his <laughs> dollars so he ends up buying your team tell our audience the impact that it had when harry Oness was the owner of the st louis blues i think it was only for a three-year window anyway though right
2: yeah it was three years and thrifty was is a nice word of saying it. he was just cheap i think that's a better way to say it than thrifty gino but no things really really were tough i mean we went from Uh, We changed to a lot of different things there. I mean, uh, it it was a, the bottom line was all that he cared about it. So when we went from uh, going from uh, flights, our flights were always the earliest flight in the morning because they were the cheapest flights. When we went to a city more than one time a year, which we did a lot in those days with divisional play, uh, he he went, we went to a different hotel each time because he got introductory rates by going from hotel to hotel. We, we, Um, he took away our pregame meal. We had to – we we were all – I mean, the NHL, where you would have your uh, – get your per diem, and the uh, team would always usually take half your per diem and and, and end up paying for the pregame meal. But wasn't there
0: anybody looking out for you at this point, Bernie? Like, no
1: one – I mean, right now, you can't do anything in the NHL without going through the PA. And I understand the PA is way, way stronger today than it was then. Was nobody looking out for you guys at that point at all?
2: I guess not, because the PA, well, the PA didn't really have that strength. Really, the strength of the PA didn't come until, what, the mid-90s when we finally had a break there. And I think that's when the PA got strong enough to to, to have some say in it. But, no, we did not. And I don't know. I mean, our management was, was trying. I mean, Jacques DeMurse was our coach, Ron Curran. I mean, he was put in a bad situation uh, because he, he had to answer to, to everything that Harry was doing. So um, it was tough. I mean, I think everybody, I don't know if everybody heard the story, but when we lost. Uh, in the game seven of the semifinal of the Calgary in 1986 there were, for, the, for the Stanley Kill semifinals there were in Calgary he canceled the charter while we were in Calgary and we actually had to come home on a on a um, commercial flight in fact Susie Matthew was our uh, she was our everything she was our PR director she was our traveling secretary she didn't have enough money on her credit for, for her credit for a credit card so she had she bored she asked me for what for my credit card so all the team we put on her and my credit card to get home from Calgary back to St. Louis. So that's, that's how things were. And yeah, I guess no one was really looking out for us. Uh, and if they were, no one really came forward to help us at all, but it was, times were tough. I mean, it was, uh, we were, but we were still getting our paycheck, I guess, look at it. Uh, the fans were still coming out and and uh, things were still okay here. We just, I guess we knew better, but we couldn't do anything about it.
0: How did you keep your focus
1: through all this burning? I mean, I, like when they're taking away your, your per diem and they're taking away your pregame meals and they're making literally making you move. You're in a you're in a you're in a city for three nights and they make you move each night because the first night of a stay is always the cheapest. How did you focus on what was going on on the ice? Because you guys were doing OK at that point. Like you said, you even went to the semis.
2: Yeah. Well we did we didn't have to move hotels while we were there in one city for, for three or two or three nights. It was it was the second trip there or the third trip though, where he always changed hotels. But I mean, we laughed about it. I mean, that's all we could do. We joked about the whole situation. Each each one of us would uh would laugh and say, well, What what we do? I mean, we had we really had no minor league organization. I mean, all all the players that we had, especially in 86, everybody was here. There was no one really in the minors. Uh so the the, the makeshift that we had. Uh, to make it all the way to the the, the last game of, of the semifinals in in the third round was was we we really take great pride in that and I think we have a lot greater camaraderie all the guys that were on that team together because of what we had to go through but uh, for the most part we had to I mean yeah we, we we had some intense times but but we we most of all had to laugh about it because it was it was so insane that there was nothing else we could do.
1: It's amazing. It's amazing. Like I mean, as a guy who covered. The league at that time, I didn't realize the kind of stuff that that you guys were going on behind the scenes. We knew the Ornest was a joke. He and Harold Ballard were the jokes of the league about how tight they were and they didn't want to spend money on anything. But you know, to to know the severity of it is pretty amazing. How did you not? I mean, I understand you loved playing in St. Louis. You loved the city. You loved your teammates there. But how did you not say, "I got to get out of here"? i got to figure out a way to move on to someplace else where I'm a little more appreciative for what I'm able to contribute here.
2: I guess I could have tried to force the issue, but uh, the fact was that I was—I loved the, the situation I was in when my Barkley player was, Bark uh, was one of the best guys of all time. I played for him. I loved playing for Jacques Demers, and I loved playing for Emil Francis. I mean, we came, this became home. I mean, my wife and I had, uh, our three sons were born here, so when you get used to where you're at, yeah, I think frustrating going to the rink and having to work that way. But uh, we loved everything about being here in St. Louis. And uh, it was just kind of one of those things. It was uh, how could you – I guess you could try to force the issue, but you still had no, no control over that either. If you would have went in – I might have been gone in and, and, and tried to force the issue. But if they didn't want to make the move or they didn't decide to make the move, you still were stuck. In fact, I, I felt very comfortable – I never felt comfortable that I wasn't going to get traded until the last year I went in uh, in 1989 to do my contract and I didn't even have an agent at the time. I told Ron Perron that, hey, I'm, I want two more years and I'm done. And he goes, great, come back on Monday and we'll get all done and, and you'll, you'll, you'll be good. I got, went back on Monday and they decided to trade me. So that was really the first time in my career after 13 years that I actually felt comfortable I was going to end my career here and I got traded so it just you just never you could never ever put your finger on what was going on you just kind of went with the flow
1: and through it all you kept producing 400 point seasons as i say three of them consecutive 100 point seasons i want to take you back to the all star game uh february of 1980 what a moment for you that must have been you're an all star and the the beat of it you kind of got a little bit overshadowed there oh <laughs> yes <laughs> it was first, Gordie Howe's last, Esposito's playing, Gila Fleur's playing, Brian Trottier's in the game. What was that entire experience?
2: It was so special. I mean, to be in that, just in that locker room uh, uh, was just absolutely unbelievable. To, to take the photo in the morning and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was uh, really, I don't want to even call it a dream come true because you really dream about being in an all star game like that, especially with the players that you mentioned uh it but it was it was just absolutely so so special uh to be able to to sit there and 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 listen and i that's what i did i mean you're a young kid you go in the locker room and you listen and um the hype was there i mean with gordy being in detroit as well and uh there was no never a nicer man than gordy house so i mean just to get to meet him and and spend a little bit of time talking to him uh was absolutely so special but uh uh, that whole atmosphere, because of it, was uh, because it was Detroit too, uh, and Gordy being there uh, made that much more special. But that's uh, that's a memory that I'll always have. I mean, I was nervous as as heck to 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 go and be introduced onto the ice for the first time. You were afraid that you're going to fall down and slip when you uh, take the ice there. But it was it was a special moment, especially on national television. For you know, there was not a lot of TV in those all those days. Hockey Night in Canada was really the only time we were on for my folks and everybody back in Saskatchewan to see me in in a real game, especially an All-Star game, uh, was was really special for me.
0: You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Cravables like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, hot from the oven in minutes, 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say, hey dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7Now. Download the 7-Eleven app. The Overtime Podcast is proud to
1: partner with Athletes Care, the preferred sports medicine clinic for legends in hockey and all other sports. Athletes Care is proud to be celebrating our 25th year offering sports medicine services in downtown Toronto. In addition to physiotherapy, our service offerings include massage therapy, chiropractic care, medical acupuncture, orthotics, and orthopedic bracing. The Athletes Care team consists of the best sports medicine doctors and specialists that have been responsible for the treatment of athletes at the highest levels of competition, including athletes from the Olympics, the NHL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. When you need rehab for a new or chronic injury or pain, go to where the best go. Athletes Care Sports Medicine Clinics with 24 locations in the Greater Toronto area and Ottawa. It's always cool to be able to share moments like that with our family. And I'm sure you got to share that parts of that with your family. Was there a moment in your career where if you could relive it or have video of it where you could show it to the younger families you remember of your family who never got to see you play? Where you could say, if you could just see one moment, if I could just show you one moment of my NHL career, it would be this. What would you want to share with your family with that? Oh boy, that's that's really a tough question. Or maybe there's a couple of things like that. You know what? I, I, you know what? I, I don't know
2: if there's any moments where I where I look at. I mean, uh, I, I I I've had so many special moments. I mean, just getting the opportunity to play in the, in the in the NHL was probably the the greatest thing I wish my folks and my family could have been in the building. Like all the kids have their parents and their uh, you know families come their first NHL game. I think that's kind of where you say, wow, this, this is, I, I finally made it. And for everybody to be there at that moment, I, I think would be really, really special. I think that the things have changed so, so much now. It's so nice to have the parents and the families at the draft when, when, when you get drafted and, and it, it's a moment that, that you worked for so hard and they, as families, as parents have, have probably spent so much money and, and tried so hard to, to help you get to the, the spot you wanted to. I think those would be the moments that would be the most special. But, I mean, I, I think that when I look back, um, you know, I, I, my folks came and spent some time here. My in-laws were the same way. But I, I think the, the, the greatest moment was having them all at the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, they were all there together. And, and they were everybody, all my folks and my in-laws were alive and everything. Uh, to be there, to have my family. I think that was probably the most special moment that that I had with everybody together. But I would have loved to have seen them, you know, in the, with the crowd here in, in St. Louis scoring uh, the third goal of a hat trick or when I got my thousandth point or 300 goals, you know, the milestone uh, things, if they all could have been there, I think that would have been really, really special. But uh, I never experienced the Stanley Cup other than watching the Blues win it back in 2019, but I I think if there would have been that moment, that would have been the most special moment of it
1: all. So 2000, you're talking about 2002 when you got inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yes, you got an opportunity to share with your family. I mean, obviously, an incredible career pinnacle moment. The thousand playing your first game, getting drafted, um, playing your 1,000th game, getting your thousandth point, you know, retiring—all those are incredible moments. But then you get to share at the Hockey Hall of Fame with your family. What was it like when you got the call? Because it was a while coming. What was it like when you got the call that you were now going to be inducted to the hockey hall of fame?
2: Uh, it was very uh, humbling and surprising. Um, it, it, it it was, I, it caught me off guard uh, because they used to call uh, from, from what I, I mean, they used to have all, it was always done kind of in September and then they had started doing it in June. And I had no idea that that was happening. I was out in the golf course, to be honest with you. And I got a call from from Kelly Massey um, that uh, Jim Gregory wanted to talk to me, and uh, it was kind of one of those that uh, I got on the phone. I thought because I was doing the TV work back then, I thought they were wanting to do something uh, for me to do something on TV or something for them and stuff. When I, it was it was shocking. It was uh, I was speechless. I was uh, beyond words, and it was one of the those those. Moments when I called my wife, she thought I was having a heart attack, or or what it was. It was one of those things that you just um you. I guess you can't even dream about it. It just it happens. I mean, people have talked about it all the time. Are you ever going to go in? Or is this going to happen? So you don't even think about it anymore. It, it, it had been by eight or ten years or whatever it was since I retired, and then all of a sudden, when it came, it was it was a very special moment. It was it was very gratifying to say the least.
1: But you're 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 in the Top 70, I think At last time I checked, your number 61 all-time scoring list. I mean, Bernie, you're, you're one of the greatest players of all time in NHL history. Does that ever settle into you to, to think of the stuff that you've accomplished?
2: Uh, yeah, I think it does. I mean, it, it, you don't think about it yourself. It's when people bring it up, when people talk about it. Uh, I, I'm very fortunate here in St. Louis because I've been here for so long that uh, I, I've got the um so many people around me all the time that, that, that uh, I, I guess are, 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 are such big hockey fans. And uh, I think they remind me of those things uh, each and every day and every time I'm with them. So, um, you know what? You play the game to have fun. You play the game uh, because you, you love what you're doing and you play the game to try to win a Stanley Cup. I mean, that's kind of where, where, where I was at. and uh, yeah. the, All the personal stuff that, that happens along the way um is 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 very gratifying and uh i guess i always will will look at it that way but i'm very proud of what i've been able to accomplish and uh but it's kind of not 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 what you it's not for what you do it's for what everybody else thinks and and i think that's kind of where you're at and and uh, i I think that each and every i mean when you look at what wayne gretzky's done when you when you look at the, the the numbers that he's put up it's just astronomical and what I've done is—is is, is yes, a lot. But when you, when you compare yourself to someone, somebody like Wayne, uh, you say, "Okay, well, <laughs> is not that great an accomplishment?" It's kind of one of those yeah,
1: things. Nobody can compare themselves to Wayne, Bernie. Let's be no, honest. That's
2: exactly it. You can't. I mean, but it's—I'm it, very—I'm very proud of what I was able to accomplish, and uh, I look back at all the great times that I had, and and it's been a very rewarding life that I've had, uh, especially with the game of hockey.
1: Shortly after your induction to the Hockey Hall of Fame in in, uh, 2002, the St. Louis Blues did something very special for you outside uh, the Enterprise Center. Tell our audience what they did for you and what that was like when you found out about that.
2: Yeah, that's just something special. I mean, I I don't think there's very many people out there that have a statue. So uh, it it was. Uh, a a very—I um, um, I don't know—it it caught me off my guard, off guard too, as well, because when they made the announcement, I had my wife knew about it, the kids did, but I had no idea. And and uh, when when they told me about it, at the, when they, uh, about the unveiling of it, it was just—I uh, I was again speechless because whoever thinks uh, about that's going to happen. I mean, uh, you, you you go and play a game for a living that you love to do. And then all of a sudden they're, they're, they're building a statue, a replica statue of you. So it was, as I said, there's, it, it's very rare that that happens. So uh, I couldn't have been more delighted, more humbled than, than, than anything. And it's every time I, I drive by it now on the way to the, the games, it's, it's, it's still uh, uh, a very humbling experience just, just driving by. it.
1: You, you had some uh, interesting, teammates interesting experiences along the way uh you're a great storyteller i'd love you to tell the audience a little bit about steve derbano and how oh. you would describe him.
2: <laughs> uh, derby uh, was a different cat to say the least uh I, I you know what he was one of those great teammates so derby would do everything and anything for you and and he was one of those guys i mean the, the best story about his him was in uh in uh, New York at Madison Square Garden when uh, we had a brawl at the end of a game and he actually got tossed from the game and he went to the uh, where where we go off, which is still there, the Zamboni entrance, and he pulled his pants down and mooned the crowd at, at, at Madison Square Garden. I mean, whoever even would think about that coming to their head, but the, <laughs> Derby did it and it's one of those moments where we looked into the corner of the building and said, what is he doing? And no, he can't be doing it. And he did it. So, uh, but Derby was a special guy. And, uh, he was, I don't know if I would have had to play against him, but I would have liked it too much, but uh, having him on our team was was pretty special for
1: us. That was a strange moment. And then there's a strange moment where you actually got peer pressured into doing something pretty funny, a story with Gila point and a thermostat.
2: Oh, I, uh there, you know what there's all, all we did a lot of that. That was Gila Point doing that though. He used yeah. to turn
1: it say Gila Point sorry about Gila Point.
2: Yes, anytime we went to a party, he would turn the heat up. And if it was it was it would be hotter than heck here or, or at a party, he would turn the heat up, someone would put it down, and he would always have to go turn the back. And people would wonder why it was so hot in the house all the time. That was not me. That was always Key. Gila Point had something to do all the time. He he would he would hide behind a shower the curtain in, in the bathroom waiting for someone to come in at a party. It didn't matter if it was a guy or a girl too, just so that he could <laughs> make some funny faces after walking. Yeah. So he, he did all kinds of stuff like that. It was, it was, a, he was a, a, one of the most fun guys I had to play with too.
1: You had some incredible experiences and you mentioned this briefly and I think it's important to kind of revisit it. Um, the first Stanley cup in St. Louis blues history, 2019, um, you, you got to be there for the early years of this organization to build up its credibility, to establish itself as as a real NHL franchise in initially what was a non-hockey community. And it built and built and built. And then you transitioned into retirement, into the broadcast. And then you continued to watch it build to the point where you guys finally won the Stanley Cup in 2019. What was it? What was it like to finally be a part of watching this organization that you've been there during its fledgling years finally hit the pinnacle of the game of hockey?
2: I think the most the word I can use it was the the nervousness that went along with that that whole run was was really something because yes, I mean the early success of the Blues making it the Stanley Cup final and in the the expansion years, the first three years, and then uh, kind of the lull. I mean, we had ups and downs through all those years, and then. Uh, I thought in 2000, when uh, the Blues won the President's Trophy, I mean, with guys like McInnes and Pronger and Kachuk and Turgeon Hull, uh, this was a team that should have won the Cup. I mean, those were it was the years that we were expecting them to win the Cup because of all the great talent. But there were so many other good teams out there with Detroit and Colorado and Dallas. Uh, so it was just kind of, we were biding our time and just waiting. And as alumni, I mean, that's our biggest wish is because we came here to St. Louis hoping to win a cup when you put the blue note on, you want to be part of a, a Stanley cup championship and it never happened. And then uh, whatever it, it was, everything fell into place that year, Gino. I mean, uh, from the time that uh, chief took over the team, uh, uh, Craig did such a great job. I mean, the team played better that year than they they performed through the first three months of the season. I mean, bringing Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Shin was here. I mean, the defense was big, strong um, and, the, the goaltending was kind of the issue. And then all of a sudden, Jordan Bennington showed up. And th- that changed the whole outlook of this hockey club. And then everything just kind of started snowballing. And uh, it was it was very, very nerve-wracking going into Winnipeg the first round, winning the first two games, coming back, losing the next two, and then having to go back to Winnipeg and and, the, and and then you know winning that game five and then coming home and then just kind of start snowballing. And then I think the biggest disappointment was we were so excited for game six here against the Bruins, uh, the blues with a three, two lead. And <laughs> we're going to have a celebration here at home. And then they lose the game, uh, and having to go back to Boston for game seven, but going back there was absolutely the most unbelievable moment of, of, of our, I think our hockey lives, because I mean, Bobby player, all of I mean, he was there here longer than I was. And, uh, we were nervous watching that game, but, uh, um, Jordan Bennington was was the, the true hero. I mean, he was absolutely unbelievable at that entire uh, playoffs. Uh, the guys got a great goaltending once again in, the, in that last game. And uh, to finally have the buzzer go uh, at the end of the game in Boston and finally be able to go walk downstairs and, and be on the ice and, and see the actual Stanley Cup in person uh, as, a, as a former member of the San Jose Blues was, was really kind of one of those... Uh, life-defining moments, if you want to call it, that, uh, hey, it's finally done. We can no longer be looked at a franchise that didn't win a Stanley Cup, and it was really, really special.
1: I get get chills when I think of this, so I, I can only imagine, and I'll ask you how you feel about this. When you look up in the rafters and you see the Stanley Cup banner in 2019, not far from the banner in the rafters is your jersey retired. What's that like, the fact that your number got retired in this organization? and it's up there in the rafters as well. What is that like for you?
2: I think that's probably the, 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 the ultimate uh, um, compliment, if you want to call it to, to have that happen that no one else can wear you the, the number that you wore out in the ice. And uh, I think I'm very proud of the fact that uh, the other guys that, that, that I, that I, I knew and, 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 and loved and played with and, and, and they've now been a part of their lives too. And, and guys like Barkley, Plager and of course Brian Sutter and Bob Gasoff and Bobby Plager and, and it goes on and on with and Al McKinnis and and, and with Brett Hall and Broner. So I mean, it's it's just a uh, it's the ultimate compliment to, to be up there with with uh, with the greatest players that I know that played for this franchise. So to be a part of that uh, class and a part of that group makes you feel very very special, and, and to 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 know that no one else can can wear number twenty four uh for the organization is, is 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 so so special and um i it, it, it's again that was an honor that you never dream of having you you, you want to play just to have fun and you, you're just it, it didn't matter what number they gave you when i came here i didn't request the number i was given the number and uh, i'm very honored that no one else gets to wear it again so i think that's the the, the ultimate compliment
1: Wow. It's been so much fun catching up with you, Bernie. I'm, you you look great. You look like you're physically in great shape, which is fantastic. And you're still obviously really busy. I can't tell you how much I appreciate catching up with you. I, I want to do one last thing before we let you go. We have a feature here on the show that we call Five Fast Facts, where I ask you five quick questions, and you give me the first answer that comes to your mind right away. You all set for it? I'll
2: try my best,
1: you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's time now for Five Fast Facts with Hockey Hall of Famer, Bernie Federko. Number one. Who was the best teammate you ever played with, and why?
2: Boy, Oof. see that's that's going to be the hardest question. You know what? Probably Brian Sutter was the best teammate. When we came together. We got up, uh, we we came into the league together, uh, played together. He was my left winger for ten plus years. So so probably yeah, he was probably the best 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 winger that I had.
1: Who's the best coach you ever played for?
2: Well, I love Barclay Plager. I mean, he was the the great guy, and uh, he gave me the opportunity to uh, um, be what I am today. And, and, uh, And it was not just what I did on the ice, but what I did off the ice as well.
1: Who did you hate playing against the most and why? Oof.
2: You know what? There, there was, there's probably a number of guys that, that were hard to play against. But I mean, I go back back to Tommy Lysiak in, in the in the day. Uh, I, I can go. I mean, Brian Trotcher was awful hard to play against, even though he was, uh, you know, more of a scorer. I didn't get to play against him a lot because we tried to check him. But we did go head to head lots of time. And I thought, I mean, I I consider him the best two way player that that I ever played against uh, during during my time in the league.
1: What was your favorite NHL city to play in, other than home ice in St. Louis?
2: Love played in Chicago uh, for whatever reason, both Chicago and, and, and Boston had something about it. I scored my first goal in Boston, so I always loved going back there. But Chicago, uh, we had such a rivalry, the Blues in Chicago, that it was just like you got booed, you got yelled at, you got stuff thrown at you. And I just, it was fun to be there all the time.
1: If you hadn't become an NHL player, what career do you think you would have spent? A part, I mean, and we're taking broadcasting out as well because you became a broadcast because you're a player. So if you weren't a player or a broadcaster, what career would you have done?
2: Well, my folks always wanted me to be a doctor, so I, I don't know if I would have gone that 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 route. But it, it, it might have uh, interested interested me to, to to get into the medical field. Uh, I I I kind of liked chemistry and physics when I was going to school, so I, it, it might have been it. But you know what? I'm glad I didn't have to make that decision. <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't worry, my friend, because you became a Hockey Hall of Fame legend, uh, one of the greatest scorers of all time, and certainly one of the greatest St. Louis Blues of all time. You're still their franchise leader in points. Bernie, it's been great catching up with you, my friend. Thank you so much for spending the time with us, and I'm glad you're doing so well.
2: Gino, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure being with you.
1: One of the greatest St. Louis Blues of all time, Hockey Hall of Fame inductee, Bernie Federico. The Overtime Podcast is proudly presented by 7-Eleven and Athletes Care. Before leaving the ring, order your favorite slurpy, fresh, 100% premium Arabica coffee, hot premium pizza and wings, a pint of ice cream, or even a carton of milk, a dozen eggs, loaf bread from the 7-Now app, and Team 7-Eleven will have your order ready for pickup 24-7. Athletes Care is proud to be celebrating their 25th year offering sports medicine services to both elite athletes and The general population will require rehab for a new or chronic injury or pain. Go to where the best go. Athletes Care Sports Medicine Clinics with 24 locations in the greater Toronto area and Ottawa. Hey, if you missed any parts of the show, don't worry. Visit our website at OvertimePodcast.ca where you can both listen and subscribe to future shows. 7-Eleven's Overtime Podcast can be found on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, iTunes Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next week, I'm Gino Retta saying so long, hockey fans, and thanks for joining us on the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast.
0: You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven like their world-famous taquitos, fully-loaded nachos, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say... Hey dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7Now. Download the 7-Eleven app. The Overtime Podcast is proud to partner with
1: Athletes Care, the preferred sports medicine clinic for legends in hockey and all other sports. Athletes Care is proud to be celebrating our 25th year offering sports medicine services in downtown Toronto. In addition to physiotherapy, our service offerings include massage therapy, chiropractic care, medical acupuncture, orthotics, and orthopedic bracing. The Athletes Care team consists of the best sports medicine doctors and specialists that have been responsible for the treatment of athletes at the highest levels of competition, including athletes from the Olympics, the NHL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. When you need rehab for a new or chronic injury or pain, go to where the best go. Athletes Care Sports Medicine Clinics, with 24 locations in the greater Toronto area and Ottawa.